Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man means you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Nat Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. America's chickens! Coming home to roost. Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. And terrorism begets terrorism. Our common ground speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Thank you for being with us. Stay tuned. And a huge good evening to all of you out there at Our Common Ground, for indeed this is Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and so good to have you with us tonight. For those of you who are listening on your smart devices and on your computers, you can join us during this broadcast for live discussion at blogtalkradio.com backslash that's the one that goes to the right backslash OCG and join our listeners who are always for a robust uh, conversation and discussion regarding uh, our broadcasts in real time. Tonight at Our Common Ground, we're going to be visited by Ellen Brown. As most of you know, as our political system sputters, and all sputters are followed by some kinds of innovative thinking and bold experimentation, and that is quietly sweeping away some of the outmoded economic models that we have lived under, and it's shaping a new philosophical and political vision of that movement that could bring, potentially bring our economy back. And tonight at Our Common Ground, one of the pioneers of such innovative direction is Ellen H. Brown. She developed her research skills as an attorney practicing civil lit- litigation in Los Angeles. And in her newest book, Web of Debt, she turns those skills to an analysis of the Federal Reserve and the Money Trust. And she shows in that book how the private cartel has re- usurped the power.
power to create money from the people themselves and how we, the people, can get it back. She developed an interest in the developing world and its problems while living abroad for 11 years in Kenya, Honduras, Guatemala, and Nicaragua. She returned to practicing law when she was asked to join the legal team of a popular Tijuana healer with an innovative cancer therapy who was targeted by the chemotherapy industry in the 1990s. That experience produced her book, Forbidden Medicine, which traces the suppression of natural health treatments to the same corrupting influences that have captured our money system. Brown has published 11 books, including the bestseller, Nature's Pharmacy, co-authored with Dr. Lynn Walker, which sold 285,000 copies, and we are so pleased to have her join us on our common ground tonight uh, as our guest. But you know how it goes on our common ground. We always feel that we have to frame the issues, put the information out there, make sure that you have a foundation to engage with our guests and on our topics. And so we're going to go to what I always call our inside intro that really lays out some of the issues for which we're going to be discussing with Ellen Brown when we come back. A a risk, it didn't turn out well. The AP poll shows 8 in 10 Americans worry the financial crisis will hit them directly. Despite that, 45% are opposed to the government bailout. $700 billion is a lot of money. The largest corporate bailout in American history forever changes the relationship between government and the financial sector. Madam Speaker, the Constitution of the United States is present to protect Main Street. We have individuals who were drunk. The regulators were the bartenders who continued to pour the drink, didn't stop him from drinking. And now he was drunk, he got on the main thoroughfare and had an accident. The accident closed the highway. We're looking at a symptom. It's a highway where we have our pension funds. And we're looking at the collapsing uh, of, a, of a market that was unstable. It was in, unstable because of the way it came about. It's a highway where we have our car loans and our mortgages. It came about because of a monopoly control of money and credit by the Federal Reserve System, and that is a natural consequence of what happens when a Federal Reserve System creates too much credit. The entire bill that they voted on today is actually debt. And uh, it's failed. We go right to your reaction to the vote in the House in Bloomington, Indiana. Good morning. Good afternoon, rather. Hello, my name is Justin Morrison, and I'm calling from Bloomington, Indiana. Mm -hmm. And I oppose this bill, along with Ron Paul and all of his other supporters. And I heard the lady say it again on on your show just now, that us common Americans don't get it. I heard Feinstein say that last night. I heard your guest say it just now. I heard your two guests in the last couple of days saying the same thing that we just don't understand. The people on top have never had it so good. For the first seven years of Bush's tenure, the wealthiest 400 individuals in our country saw a 
$170 billion increase in their wealth. Congress is being dishonest. My job is not to get things passed in the House. My job is to get things passed in the Senate. I want to take this time to express my appreciation to my counterpart, Senator McConnell. For my part, I came to the Senate floor and put down a firm marker. If Congress was going to help companies that got us into this mess, then executives at those companies would play by our rules. This is not a bailout for Wall Street. It's a bailout for our country. You know, the questions uh, that we should ask, uh, does this bill strengthen America? And it does. The, the tone that uh, brought us to this vote this afternoon gets set by the leadership. And, and if that tone is working in the right direction, a lot of good things can happen. And that is that the, uh, we're going to fundamentally change the focus of the economic policy. We're going to focus on the middle class because it's when the middle class is growing, the economy grows and everybody does well not just focus on the wealthy. One of the messages that I have uh, to Congress is get this done. Democrats, Republicans, step up to the plate, get it done. I put it on hold last week to fight for a rescue plan that puts you and your economic security and your family and working Americans first. All of the major regulatory agencies were complicit in that statement in destroying it. We have a self-fulfilling policy of regulatory failure because of the leadership in this era. We have the Fed, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, finding that this is three-card Monty. Well, what would you do as a regulator if you knew that one of the largest enterprises in the world, when you're, the nation is on the brink of collapse, economic collapse, is engaged in fraud, three-card money. Would you continue business as usual? That's what was done. Oh, they met a lot. They say that we didn't have a, we only had a nuclear stick. Sounds pretty good stick to use if you're on the brink of collapse of the system. But that's not what the Fed has to do. The Fed is a central bank. Central banks for centuries have gotten rid of the heads of financial institutions. The Bank of England does it with a luncheon. They, the board of directors are invited. They don't say no. They are sat down. The head of the Bank of England says, we have lost confidence in the CEO of your enterprise. We believe that Mr. Jones would be an effective replacement. And by 4 o'clock that day, Mr. Jones is running the place. And he has a mandate to clean up all the problems. Instead, every day that Lehman remained under its leadership, the exposure of the American people to loss grew by hundreds of millions of dollars on average. Aurora was pumping out, out up to $3 billion a month in liar's loans. Losses on those are running roughly 50% to 85 cents on the dollar. It is critical not to do business as usual, to change. We've also heard from Secretary Geithner and Secretary Bernanke, I'm sorry, Chairman Bernanke, we couldn't deal with these lenders because we had no authority over them. 
the Fed had unique authority since 1994 under HOEPA to regulate all mortgage lenders. It finally used it in 2008. They could have stopped Aurora. They could have stopped the subprime unit of Lehman that was really a liar's loan place as well as time went by. Thank you very much. During the time they had this system, they paid no taxes. They had no government debt and prices did not inflate. So it was a perfect system. But then, and then according to Benjamin Franklin, that was a major reason we fought the revolution was that King George took away the power of the colonists to, uh, to print new issues of money. That's what the order was. And, um, and they did it for a reason. It was the, the merchants were complaining because they were dealing with 13 different currencies, you know, that were all, they didn't know what the value of these different things were, and some of them were, weren't sustainably done, you know, they were inflating. Right, right. So th there was some logic to it, but, but that meant that we had to borrow gold from the British bankers in order to pay our taxes. So that's what the taxation without representation thing was all about. Not just that we were being taxed, but that we were, had to, we were being taxed in a currency we were not allowed to create and we had no control over. Mm -hmm. So the farmers were losing their farms and so there was general rebellion, you know, and they, mm -hmm. they just went back to their, their old system, which was considered an act of rebellion. And then we had the revolution, which we won, issuing paper receipts, which was a remarkable thing. It had never been done before to win a war with just with these paper receipts without actually having what was called real money then, like gold and silver. Uh, but we lost the ability to create our own money because, uh, it's kind of a long story, but the, um, the British were heavily counterfeiting this currency uh, as a matter of war policy. Actually, Napoleon did the same thing. And, and flooding our, our markets our market, with it. Yeah, they were the ones that were printing too much. Some not, subterfuge not, going on there, yes. Yeah. So that devalued the currency, plus it had to compete with the other currencies which are more stable. So by the end of the war, it had completely collapsed. And the founding fathers were so suspicious of it that they, were, they couldn't agree on whether to put it in the Constitution or not. And I guess there were actually riots outside the Constitutional Convention. So they had to do something fast. You know, the soldiers wanted their money, et cetera. So, so they said, okay, well, we'll just, they, they were kind of vague about who had the power to create money. They said Congress shall have the power to coin money. That's all it says in the Constitution. So meanwhile, so they got out of the, out of there, and um, the first Treasury Secretary, Alexander Hamilton, was stuck with all these war debts and no money to pay them with. So he resorted to the ruse used in England, which was to set up the first U.S. bank, which was actually privately owned, and um, they put the government's gold into it, what gold they had, and then they could create ten times that sum in banknotes, lent them to the government. And so now there was plenty of money to pay off their debts. It was a ruse, but it worked, and everybody trusted these banknotes more than they would have trusted a government-issued money because it was supposedly mm -hmm. backed by gold. But the problem was it put us in debt to these private bankers pretending to have money. Benjamin Franklin called them bold and bankrupt adventurers just pretending to have money. I mean, he, at first, he didn't get it either, and at first he, he blamed the paper money, and then later he realized it was they'd been taken. This is a wonderful primer to understand how the Western world has gotten into such a challenging situation where our economies are concerned. Thank you. Money, right. but it, it's the same effect in the sense that 
banks actually create money. That's what people don't realize is that you take your, if you have, that you have a huge revenue base and a huge capital base that the state does. By law, all the revenues go into the Bank of North Dakota. Then the bank can leverage that money into credit, just like any, any bank does. All banks create credit. That's why we want to own our own banks, because we want to get that power back from the banks. We want to get back that 40% or that 50% and use it locally for our own purposes. Right. So what the Bank of North Dakota does is very like what the Bank of Pennsylvania did, even though it doesn't have the power to print its own money. It's right. still a sustainable system because it all goes back to the people through their, you know, tax money. And, and arguably, dividends. every every time they generate loans, they're actually increasing the money supply, right? Uh, true, but when the loan gets paid off, then it... Then it contracts, then it, it recontracts. And then the profit yeah, ends yeah, up at the state. It's sustainable. Okay, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, that's the, that's the catch. A private bank, you know, some people argue that this whole debt virus theory is not true, the idea that banks only create the principal and they don't create the interest and therefore it's unsustainable. Some people say, well, bank, but banks, bankers, you know, will spend the interest into the economy like anybody else and therefore it's out there. But that's not true. A public bank does do that. A private bank does not. That's why we have a 1% and a 99% that bank money grows exponentially. And right. the 1% or the 99% money grows arithmetically. So bankers do not need to spend into the economy. They, what they do with their money, well, and wealthy people in general, the 1% reinvest their money. So they don't just, you know, give you a dollar for a loaf of bread. They give you a dollar and they want the dollar back with 10% or something on top of it. Right. So yeah. they're always taking back more than they put out. So it's an ex exponential parasitic growth on top of this arithmetic, normal, sustainable. If America's talking about it, we're talking about it. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. So there you have it. Interest charged by banks is a form of taxation, as I hear it, uh, levied by privately owned corporations, which can and do shift money around globally with no regard for local or national social criteria. It's the provision of essential services such as hospitals, schools, roads, fire departments. And it's really ironic that governments misallocate tax revenues by paying interest on loans from private banks to fund spending on essential services, whereas um, these would be self-funding with public banking. It was uh, Thomas Jefferson, and I don't normally quote the forefathers, the other fathers, or whoever the fathers were, because they kept me out of all of this when they did their thing. But Thomas Jefferson wrote that if the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency, first by inflation, then by deflation, the book, the banks, and the corporations will grow up around them, will deprive the people of all property until their children wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. The issuing power should be taken from the banks and restored to the people to whom it properly belongs. 
You're listening to Our Common Ground, and we're waiting for our guest, Ellen Brown, the author of Web of Debt, to call in. We're going to take a break while we're waiting for her. She's on the West Coast, and I'm thinking that she's doing a time thing. We often have that going on. And before we want to go to break, I want to tell you a little about our second hour. We're going to be talking uh, about a number of issues that you all can just peel the onion on. One is uh, the question of physical hazing. Uh, why do people do it? Um, and who are the people who subject themselves to that, to physical and emotional hazing in colleges, sororities, the Greek organizations, the ban. And the other flip side of that in the current events is why has Rick Scott, in regard to the hazing murder of uh, Robert Champion, why has Rick Scott, the governor of Florida, gotten himself politically ensnarled in the matters, in the, in the, in the, simple criminal matters of the case of the FAMU, Florida A&M University, hazing incident. The other thing that I'm throwing out here is um, where are the women's organizations um, in Jacksonville, Florida, in support of Marissa Alexander? I asked that question two weeks ago when we had Lincoln Alexander, her ex husband who is her major advocate, her sister and her mother-in-law. I also asked that question in my exclusive interview with Marissa Alexander on the day of her sentencing as we talked with her from the from the um Duval County Jail. And I'm still not getting or seeing any support from the women's organizations who traditionally show up in the defense of women who are victims of domestic and intimate partner violence. So we're going to run over those issues uh, in the second hour here. We want to also do a birthday um, tribute to Miles Davis. Today is his birthday, and to mention that Yesterday was the birthday of Madam C.J. Walker. We also want to acknowledge the death of the radio pioneer and legend, Hank Jackson, and to acknowledge the death of Donna Summers. You're listening to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and we're waiting for our guests uh, to arrive here at Our Common Ground Ellen Brown, and she is the author of Web of Debt, and we're going to be talking about community banking. We're going to come right back. I see we have some some callers on our lines, and if you want to join us, 347-838-9852, 347-838-9852. We're not going anywhere, but we'll be right back. I felt somehow for many years that George Washington and Alexander Hamilton just left me out by mistake. And we the people. Today I am an inquisitor. And I am not going to sit here and be an idle spectator to the diminution, the subversion, 
the destruction of the Constitution. You're listening to Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Hear truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Thank you for joining us. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Our Common Ground, each Saturday, 10 p.m., broadcasting Brave, Bold, and Black. Alternative activists, empowerment, urban progressive talk radio. Works Network. This is Alpha, hosting the set of Push Bag Talking, the Alpha Show. Each Friday, fire in the belly of Friday. The Alpha Show, Friday nights, 10 p.m., only on TruthWorks Network. You're listening to Alpha on TruthWorks Network, the best of political pushback. Go for it, Alpha. Friday, 10 p.m., pushback to the truth. It's the Alpha Show at TruthWorks Network, only at TruthWorks Network. Our children are literally eating themselves to death. Many experts predict that this may be the first generation of children that doesn't live as long as their parents because of the problem of obesity. A quarter of American children don't exercise regularly. The average school-aged child watches four to six hours of TV every day, bombarded by commercials for fast food and junk. How you make these kinds of lifestyle changes in your kids is to make them yourself. Make the effort. Fight childhood obesity. A message from the Government of Canada. And now, ladies and gentlemen, another little letter from the Lonely Hearts Club. Tune in. Maybe you'll find the one you lost, too, on our little old radio show. Here's the first letter. Yeah, that was uh, a guest 
some people call so that they can listen on their device. 773, you're on the air. I respect you while we're waiting for Ellen Brown to call us from the West Coast. What's up? Good evening, Janice, and how are you? Alpha. It's Alpha of the Alpha Show. Thank you so much, Alpha, for calling in. I know I'm on your topic. You have been talking about state banking for four years that I've known you. Well, I think it's, I think it's, I would call it treasonous. I would tell you that there is an entity that has a stranglehold on this country, and those are the private bankers. And it's, somebody needs to go to jail. Or somebody, uh, if this were earlier in the last century, someone needs to be hung from the, uh, I would say, the existence, the the last uh, culmination of the Federal Reserve up until today. There has been just, it's, and all of the people who seem to rail against the Federal Reserve, you never hear them raise the issue of a state bank. Ron Paul is Ron Paul, and I agree with him on getting rid of the Fed, but he never has ever, I've never heard him raise the issue of a state bank. Because and you're talking to a politician, Alpho. You know that. Ron Paul is never going to support the notion of uh, of state banks. Ron Paul thinks that the credit union system, which is a much better uh, deal than than the institution, the the corporate institution called bank, but he thinks that's community uh, banking. Oh, oh, well, okay, fine, but he's looking for regulatory answers. He's looking for government regulatory answers at the federal level, and it's not going to solve the problem. But this is from a guy who rails against the Fed, and that's my whole point. He rails against the Fed, but he takes one of the, uh, I would say, the wrong way. He's still going the wrong way, and it it just it's strange to me. And I was looking, you know, uh, forward to asking your guests uh, quite a few questions about you know, exactly why that is that everyone who's railing against the Fed never looks upon this as a serious uh, option. With uh, the state of North Dakota being the only state in the union that has a state bank, and the state of North Dakota is possibly the only state in the union whether they have 3% unemployment, uh, they have a surplus in 2011 in their state of 50, and everybody's running in the red. I mean, it works, it's legal, and it just seems to be, it's, you know, to me it's, it's inexplicable how it can be an option like this and the millions and millions of dollars are just sitting and nothing's being done with, and yet they're laying off teachers and uh, public uh, workers and the whole nine yards. The politics is taken over from uh, country first, and 
getting the country back to work. And I mean, her her this particular article about the stagnant pools of government money that are just sitting and going unused, except for by the big banks, because most of the states bank this money with the big banks. And the state bank itself, they could issue their own credit cards. They, I mean, no state has gone bankrupt. And that's the only way this could fail, is if the state goes bankrupt. And it can't go bankrupt because of the uh, endless uh, amount of money from these pools. The only thing that has to be reported to the government are taxes, fines, fees, but the investments of the government, local and county governments, the annual report uh, shows that there are millions and millions, I mean, trillions of dollars that are just that just sit there. They could borrow against this. They could leverage against that, just like the big banks do. And they could cut out the big banks. And you know what California had when this book came out? California had a $26 billion uh, shortfall, and it's down now because of the massive layoffs and the families that have been hurt with by these layoffs. But like I said, North Dakota, you know, they have a budget surplus, and it, it, just, it, it just baffles me. Yeah, and, well, I just, and they also have a very rigorous um, job creation uh, and the and one of the highest employment rates, employment, not unemployment, employment rates in the country. Well, their unemployment rate is three percent, three percent. So I mean, it it to me the success of a of a state bank speaks for itself. And yet I've I've asked, uh, you know, known um, opponents of the Fed, and why wouldn't this be an option. Why wouldn't this be the answer? And everybody has a, a different uh, mumble, a different uh, uh, stuttering when they try to, you know, answer that question. It just, it just, to me, it just seems to be, you know, all for naught. I don't think it's going to happen because they really don't want it to happen. Well, you know, I'm hoping uh, Ellen hasn't gotten confused about the uh, time zones here, um, but she had sent me a preview copy of one of her uh, articles, and it appeared uh, this week in Alternet, no, in Salon.com, about cooperative banking and how it really has arrived uh, to replace these bad corporate giants um, that are running amok not only in the U.S., but here, in, uh, uh, abroad, and, and looking at how they have, how, how this model can transform our economy. And what is so amazing and what people ought to be outraged about is the fact that we don't have, with the exception of Bernie Sanders, we have very few members of Congress talking about this. Very few. They are so busy. The the, the advocates for uh, the ninety nine uh, the ninety nine percenters 
and how the banking system has devastated communities and people, they're so busy being outraged that they're not looking at innovative ways to tackle the problem. Well, Dennis, you mentioned the cooperative bank. I love the way you say, well, Janice, <laughs> when I'm in the grocery store uh, and I'm confused, I hear your voice saying, well, Janice, go ahead, Alfo. Well, I mean, when you get right down to it, the cooperative banking is is just simply another it's another road in a uh in a uh grid of detours that seem to go all around the problem and it's it's more acceptable because it it drags us out and if it drags it out somewhere down the line it can be co-opted and it can be sabotaged well because one of the things that 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 has exploded in the what I call the economic um, progressive community, people like Ellen uh, Ellen Brown and the Public Banking Institute, uh, Sandy Darity, and some others at the top of the um, the, the Association of Ec- Economists, is this whole Move Your Money campaign. And you remember, Alpha, that people were talking about Move Your Money. Uh, five years ago, six years ago, and people were actually moving their money and putting it into into um, credit unions. Yes, uh, the, but, but they were targeting specific banks rather than targeting the banking system. Right, right. And, you know, as, of, as early as uh, 2010, there were at least seven candidates running for governors of these states. And they were advocating state bank. And I'm not surprised that they were all defeated with massive money that had been injected into the campaigns to go against them. And when you know, when you look really look at it, the the people of Michigan, Verge Venero ran against Snyder and he said he could his platform was he could solve the state's money problem. And the state bank was his platform. And the money was poured in to defeat him. Snyder was a uh self um self camp I mean self funding campaigner. Even still, more outside money came in to defeat a, a Verge Bonero. And you and like I said, all throughout the country you had seven other uh gubernatorial races that were decided because of the influx of the uh, industry money of the of the banking industry, and they went with the you know with the Republican who would never allow that to take place. So it, this is this is this has a great deal to do with just the power. But well, one of the things I want our audience, um, and the reason that I was. Uh, so um, focused on getting Ellen Brown with us is that we could be wildly successful in mobilizing people and raising awareness of these issues, but what we need to do is to understand that, one, we don't have to wait for Congress to do something about the Fed. If there were, if you look at you know, a major problem with the divestment process is finding local banks 
large enough to take the deposits. And one of the solutions that Ellen Brown, and I'm hoping that we'll be able to talk with her about this when she, uh, I really think it's a, a matter of the time time zone thing, that she's working looking at 10 o'clock her time rather than 10 o'clock uh, our time. But I, I think that um, one of the solutions that she proposes is for states, counties, and cities to establish their own banks, capitalize with their rainy day funds, and fund it with their own revenues as a deposit base. Now, that means that a bank, a state bank, as I understand it, Alpha, that means that a state bank would be able to decide what its interest rates will be and decide where it where the money the revenue of the local community goes and i'm for the life of me can't figure out uh why um this movement this move your money movement hasn't just taken fire you know that uh occupy wall street as a movement, hasn't focused on this more. I mean, we're so busy, we're never going to be able to re- regulate what's going on on Wall Street. Well, the regulations not. are there, and we're, in, we're not enforcing it. I mean, one of the questions I have for Ellen, and I'll ask you, is why the, the FBI has known about the problems of the big banks for a long time. You know, there, it was a joke at one time. Remember the joke? If you want to, um, if you want to rob a bank, own one. Exactly, exactly, and that's the, you know, Janice, the history of the Fed. The history of the Fed has taught us a great deal about the Fed. These aren't just bankers. You know, they have, they have coerced us, not just you know in the financial institution. The Fed has also pushed us into wars that we would have never been in, like World War One, like World War Two, like the Vietnam War, and just the mere fact that their manipulation, be it of the Lusitania, be it to, due to the fact that, uh, what was it, four days before the Japanese Armada arrived uh, off uh, Pearl Harbor, we were warned by the Australian CIA or the equivalent thereof that the Japanese Armada was steaming toward Pearl Harbor, and they did nothing. So, you know, the Fed has been this, they haven't just been manipulating our currency and controlling the government that way. They are willing, from history, they are willing to do anything from assassinations to the whole nine yards. I truly believe that uh, JFK was assassinated because of the uh, executive order that uh, he uh, set out, which was seizing the control of our currency from the Fed. And that executive order still sits today, but no one dare uh, revisit the issue. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean... I mean, when you think about it, this movement started, and folks, listen very carefully. You, we are always looking or asking the question, 
how am I going to, what can I do about this problem? Um, I'm, I, I, this is, the rich people control everything. But the Credit Union National Association reported that in 2012, for the first time ever, credit union assets rose from $1 trillion, above $1 trillion. Now, credit union is a credit union. I don't want people to get me wrong, and maybe if, if Ellen or maybe Alpha or uh, I understand Andre Eaglesham, uh was going to, Joe Meyer was going to join us tonight and Sandy Darity as well. And if you're out there, you know, please feel free to call in and get me straight. I am not saying that credit unions are are not part of the solution. Credit unions, for those of you who do not know, are nonprofit community organizations with fewer fees and less fine print than the than the the, the bank monsters that we're talking about. Um, the big risk taking banks. They take the bank. They take the risk and then make you pay for it. And and the customers in a credit union are not just customers; they're they're owners and they share partnership in a cooperative business. They get to vote on stuff, on policies. But at the same time, there are all kinds of different credit unions. And what we're talking about in this in in what Ellen Brown is suggesting is um, <clears throat> is local banks who are large enough to take huge deposits and truly serve the community where they live. And as Alpha just pointed out, there's only one state actually that does this, and it's North Dakota. And it's the only state to have escaped this credit crisis of 2008. Um, but what we want is values-based banking that is sustainable. Um, you know, local-level sustainability. And I think that in terms of public policy that we need to be looking at that concept, not only about banking alpha, but about some other things you know, sustainable food production projects, renewable energy projects, fair trade, agricultural ex exportation, and microfinancing of institutions in our community. For those of you who are listening, our number is 347-838-9852. We're waiting for our guest, Ellen Brown, the author of Web of Debt. And we're talking with Alpho in Chicago, the host of the Alpho show on TruthWorks Network, and uh, when we come back from break, I'll tell you more about TruthWorks Network, so those of you who are new to us, you can join us in the fine programming in the network, Black Voice Collaborative Network, which our Common Ground sponsors. Alpha, let me ask you a question. This is really basic. See, I wasn't going to ask Ellen Brown this, because... I think people who do this kind of research, the, the Public Banking Institute, uh, really stays on the conceptual and economic theorem of all of this. But why do you think, given what we have seen since 2008, that this idea has not taken off at the grassroots, 
where the grassroots is insisting upon a political platform of solutions similar to what North Dakota had and offers. Because what people don't understand, and this is part of messaging, what people don't understand is exactly how this would work. And what people don't understand is that this is a this is an answer to the Fed. This is a this is a total answer to the Fed. Even if you don't uh, end the Fed, you would weaken the Fed to the point of them simply being uh, a toothless tiger. Because this is in the, see, people don't understand that these what they're called. Um, CAFR, Comprehensive Annual Financial Reports. And every year they have to be, you know, every fiscal year you have to have this report. And these reports tell us that there are trillions of dollars that have been, that are just sitting because you cannot touch them by law. You cannot touch them. But what a state bank would do is not touch these funds, not borrow of these funds. As a matter of fact, it's it's the law that you can't touch these funds. But what you can do if you bank these funds, you can leverage against these funds. Okay, for instance, California. But people do understand. Let me let me interrupt you a, a minute, Alpha. People do understand. I put my money in the bank. I go to the bank to get a loan. They tell me that the loan that was 6% eight years ago is now 11% today, but it's a Wall Street bank which has $1.6 trillion sitting in reserve accounts as a result of the Fed's second round of quantitative easing in 2010. People, are you telling me people don't understand how basic that is? I'm telling you people don't understand how basic that is. Because if they did, there wouldn't just be a, 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 a uproar. There wouldn't just be a, a outcry. Because if people understood that all of the money in each and every one of these states, there are 54,000, 54,000 municipalities that in every state, in every state, if you think about all of the money, the pension funds that are held, think about everything. That's, the only thing you have to, they, have, they are required by law to report are fees, fines, and taxes. Now, think of all of the other money that is simply sitting in these banks. And instead of it sitting in these banks, you move it to a state bank. So, well, well, I, you know, I have to give you, I have to give you some credit for the truthfulness of your position, and and I think that one of something that you said earlier about the messaging, you know, for instance, when you talk about sustainability, and um, and and. And, and and banks which exemplify the model that we're talking about, which is really values-based banking uh, by the government, by the state and local government. And you look at one of the most successful, what I call sustainability financial institutions, is the New Resource Bank uh, of California with 
$171 million in assets. And it focuses its lending and banking services on local green and sustainable businesses. Now, this bank, folks, was labeled the best bank for the world, or best for the world bank, or whatever, however it was. And then you have another bank, which is in the Netherlands, in Belgium, um, and I think they have offices in Spain and in Germany, Triodos Bank. And it says that it's the most socially responsible investment bank in the in, in the world, and it's overseen by an international panel of stakeholders. But you see, when in terms of messaging, these banks are talking about community building, and I think people are looking for me building. And we have to decide at some at some point whether we want healthy and sustainable communities. Uh, we just uh, our, our, the banking issue for us is simply how much money I can get and what the max is on my credit card. What do you think, Alpha? Well, Janice, that's where it gets murky. For <laughs> so I'm 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 swimming in the murk. Uh, uh, okay, I'm swimming in the murk. I'm swimming, You're swimming in, in the, the murky period. waters. There is a very there is a very simplistic way without talking about valued banking and and people don't understand what quantitative easing is, but it's this simple. It is very simple. If the CAFR, which is the Comprehensive Annual Financial Reports, say that they reported that your state controls $7 billion, like the state of California, and the CFA funds were invested in a California state bank, the bank could generate $100 billion in loans, not touching the principal of the $7 billion, but they could generate $100 billion in loans. This $100 billion credit line would allow California to finance its $26 billion deficit and still have $74 billion left over to deal with infrastructure, keeping teachers and police officers and firemen with jobs. This is and pensions funded, fully funded. Simply well, you've got you've, you've you've got Wall Street and the one percenters and the GOP and Mitch Sketch, Romney and all of and Han, all of his ilk, who would rather pay. Who would rather solve the economic issues of this country on the backs of the Social Security Administration, the U.S. Postal Service services, essentially on the back, Medicare, health care. I mean, because, folks, if you think that the American Health Care Act is solving sick people's problems, sick poor people's problems or sick poor middle class problems in this country come in come on in here cuz i got a surprise for you because the insurance companies have done one thing and nobody is talking about that and they have upped their fees on subscribers 
I will give you alpha. I will give you, you know, I'm surprised and sighing and holding my head, hold my head and say, oh, Lordy, because my personally, my the thing, what do you call the thing, the the the, the thing you have to pay your copay, my copay has increased by twenty five dollars in the last two years. Okay, okay, but see when so, you're. I digress. I know we're talking. I, I know we're talking about the banking problem. What, what but, you are simply but, doing is throwing more mud into the water. You can't. You, but I'm still swimming, Alpha. I'm still swimming. But, but you're, you're drowning. I, I can lift my right down. arm. The mud is getting thicker and thicker, and it's about to turn into quicksand. This state bank is very simple when you get down to it. Take the money that you get, the revenue from your state, everything, every fee, every pension-held dollar. And here in the state of Illinois, it pencils out to something in the vicinity of $4 billion a year or even maybe more. And I say mm-hmm. that off the top of my head because I simply don't have the exact number. But with that number, did you see where the, the state of Illinois is about to uh, cut back so drastically on Medicaid that people will be dying mm-hmm. simply because there is no funding. There is no funding to sustain Medicaid. But this is unnecessary. All you have to do is bank the money, the revenues that you collect in your state. The states are self-sustaining. And the federal input would be lessened if they simply had a state bank. And people will, their eyes will be open if they will understand, you don't have to be a banker. You don't have to have a degree in finances to understand the simple. North Dakota is doing business as the Bank of North Dakota. That's how how it's written. And none of this money that these pools of money are at risk. The only way they could be at risk is if the state goes bankrupt. And this country has never had a state go bankrupt in its history. And that's what well, let me let me ask you something. We're coming up to the top of the hour without Ellen Brown, but let me ask you 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 something. And for those of you who would like to jump in on this conversation, and I see we've got a lot of good discussion going on in our chat room, and we're going to review some of your comments. Um, uh, Atheist Radio is saying I have been economically sabotaged by the Nazis who have taken over this nation. I am smart, and they know it, so they are watching me like hawks, making sure that I remain impoverished and helpless. Bingo! And I can hear the black helicopters coming over my house right now, right at the Our Common Ground Studios, with the windows open because it's a nice summer day in Massachusetts. Um, Alpha, I want you to hold on, because I'm going to teach you something that you haven't learned yet. I'm going to take a break. <laughs> and when we come back, you can join us at 347-838-9852 and thank all of the chatters for their great conversation and discussion going on in our chat room at blogtalkradio.com backslash, that's to the right, OCG. 
I'm Janice Graham, and this is Our Common Ground. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Talking race, old race. Speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, broadcasting brave, bold, black, speaking truth to power. You know that the ice cream scoop can make a child smile, and that by slowing us down, the traffic light can keep us going. You know that the lawnmower makes life easier, that the blood bank makes life possible. But did you know all these ideas came from the minds of African Americans? Support the United Negro College Fund, because a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Visit uncf.org or call 1-800-332-UNCF. Brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. TruthWorks Network, nightly call-in talk radio. It's the... Enter the Lion's Den. Enter the Lion's Den with LDX and Information Man. Swagger Talk Radio at TruthWorks Network. TruthWorks Network. Hey India, it's Janice. Us talk chicks got to stick together. You and your real raw right now, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Monday through Friday, and me and my brave black and bold. Saturdays, 10 p.m. There's no doubt. Us talk chicks, we know where the real talk is, and we know what to do on their radio. You. It's a cold and crazy world that's raging outside. But baby, me and all my girls are bringing on the fire. Show a little leg. Gotta send me your chips. Our coming ground, speaking truth to power, and ourselves. I'm Janice Grant.
tuned in to Our Common Ground. Our number, 347-838-9852. 347-838-9852 to get in on the discussion, to join our guests, to talk to Janice. Make the call. This is Talk Radio That Matters. And now, back to Janice on Our Common Ground. out at 347-838-9852. I'm back here at Our Common Ground, and thank you so very much for being with us tonight. It looks as though we've had some programming problems. Our 18 producers in the background sitting behind me, um, um, somebody didn't say E.T. or somebody didn't say May 26th. I'm pretty sure we did say May 26th, so I won't break blame our production staff for all of that. We're also uh, sending out a birthday tribute shout to Miles Davis and Madam C.J. Walker tonight here at Our Common Ground, and we're acknowledging the transition of Hank Jackson, the great legendary radio pioneer of New York. And Miss Donna Summers. You know, Alpha, <clears throat> thank you for holding uh, during the break. We're at the top of the hour. Um, Alpha, you know I knew Donna Summers, right? Yeah, well, you know everybody. No, 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 no. Uh, I, I met Donna Summers um, when I used to have a religion. Uh, she grew up in the church where I was the manager and administrator of church business. And each year, she would contact me and make a donation of $10,000 for the inner city church where I had religion. And and that $10,000 each year was spent for religious education, cultural education, and cultural um, and music enrichment programs for children who attended the church. Now, the church was uh, right next door to uh, a very large public housing um, uh, development, and most of the kids that attended the church, you know me, I would go out and be recruiting all day on Saturday to get kids into our youth programs. Um, I happened to have played the piano for the youth choir, and I couldn't sing, so we had to have somebody from Boston University to come over and help the kids learn how to sing, because that wasn't my thing. Uh, But she donated $10,000 to that church. It's the church that she grew up in uh, right here in Boston. And that's my story about Donna Summers. Like I said, you know everybody. (laughs) Well, it looks like I don't know. You know, uh, I I never talk with, 
I've never attended a conference or anything or had any uh, business with the Public Banking Institute, and I was so pleased that Ellen Brown accepted our invitation to be with us tonight. We're certainly hoping that she'll pop up somehow and say, you know how you you're sitting and you're in, and and you're um, like last night. I was sitting here and I had um, invited another group who is doing a program across the country with the Boys and Girls Club, the Y. M and Y W C A and the Urban League and some other programs and they're calling it Hoodie um Hoodie Books. And it's a program to get black boys to begin to read black literature. And um I had invited them to come on and talk about it. And last night I was sitting in the living room and I was reading my book and minding my own business and all of a sudden in my head I went, Oh my God, I was supposed to call that man and I jumped up, and I bet Ellen Brown's going to do the same thing in a few minutes. I'm hoping she will anyway. But in the meantime, um, I think that we've had a very good – Alpha, you are so smart about that. And for those of you who are new to Our Common Ground and don't know about TruthWorks Network, Alpha is the host of the political talk program at – TruthWorks Network, and his program, The Alpha Show, broadcasts each Friday night at 10 p.m. Uh, Eastern, and that's Eastern Time. I'm, I'm, I'm getting real particular about my times tonight, and I can, I, I think you all can imagine why. Um, and what we're trying to do at the Black Voice Collaborative is to ensure that. We're looking at the political stuff. We're going to be bringing uh, Dr. Jose, uh, who is the health one of the health consultants to Dick Gregory over many years. Um, we're going to be bringing him in on <coughs> onto TruthWorks to do a, a weekly show about holistic health, looking at the body, the spirit, uh, the the brain, the mind, the whole nine yards, and how we can start approaching uh, some of the health issues that uh, are just, um, we are neglecting in our community. As you know, that this is alternative activist empowerment, urban progressive talk radio here at Our Common Ground, and we certainly hope that you will join us every uh uh, Saturday night at 10 p.m. Um, we've 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 had some. I mean, I, I I have all week, and I hope that you have been thinking through the issues that Law Professor Vernelia uh, Randall brought to us on last Saturday night, and you can still check her out at racism.org uh, or join Griffith, who talked to us about her interviews, her very important interviews. Uh, in her book, Redefining Black Power. But we're glad to have all of you with us tonight. It's the top of the hour, and we're going to switch gears here in our second breath at Our Common Ground. And I want you to know that anytime we have a problem with the guests, we always reschedule the program. A programming note for TruthWorks Network on Tuesday night, at Power Views, we're going to be doing a tribute to the late, great 
Gil Noble. Uh, Gil Noble was a man who, when I started out in radio, I simply picked up the phone. I knew about him, um, and I simply picked up the phone, introduced myself, and said, how can I model what I do after what you do? And that is bringing information which is focused on our history, the black truth of events, people who are making a difference in our communities. And Gil Noble said to me, well, if you know all of that, you're you're already ready. Uh, so we're going to be paying tribute to uh, Gil Noble um, on um, Power Views on Tuesday night at 10 p.m. And don't forget, Global Village Voices with Peter E. Matthews um, at 9 p.m. on Monday nights and Enter the Lion's Den, Swagger Talk Radio, on Wednesday and Thursday nights at 10. We hope that you will join us. One of the things, and, and most of you will know, <coughs> is that, excuse me, that I have not only a passion, but a purpose around talk radio. I think we live in a time, Alpha, that we cannot afford not to be concentrating, to aggressively focus on the crisis, the many crises that face us in our community. See, I had a long conversation with somebody on Facebook, and I don't usually have long conversations, Alpha, and it was about what Jewish people do. Well, Jewish people have been doing it since there were Jewish people. They have an infrastructure. They have a religious and cultural infrastructure that was never mangled. Oh, the man tried it, but it was so ancient, so well documented that nothing was lost and they will never forget the threat against it. And I think that we have got to concentrate on that. I know you agree with me, Alpha. Oh, and did you get your lesson about the break? See, I took the break. Well, I didn't take that as a lesson. I took that as a rock thrown at my head. I ducked. <laughs> we will continue to violate the premise. <laughs> Listen, I don't throw rocks. You throw rocks. I throw bricks. Well, I know a rock when I see a rock and a brick when I see a brick. I do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, you going to um, hang around for a little while, Alpha? I mean, number is 347-838-9852. And I want to switch gears here for a minute. Uh, many of you um, are aware that last year there was a hazing incident at Florida A&M University. A young man, Robert Champion, died at the hands of hazers for the FAMU Marching 100 band. And hazing is not unusual in college organizations, not unusual um, in 
in any way. It it almost has become something of uh, something of a um, normal thing. Um, and in the process, in all of this, um, people get hurt. And in Boston on yesterday, three suspects in a Boston University hazing case came up before um, a county, um, a state court. And I believe that physical and emotional hazing is wrong. This year, I celebrate my 43rd year in the sisterhood of Delta Sigma Theta sorority. So I know a bit about hazing. And when I was hazed in an all-white sorority, I was kidnapped from Boston, taken on a train blindfolded to New York City, and left on the street with no money but with a phone number that I was supposed to call. Of course, I was smarter than that uh, and headed to Harlem to see my family get a good uh, to get a good meal and to get money to get back on the train and come back in Boston to be back in class on time because that was one of the things. For another organization that I had to be hazed into, I had to scrub the monuments in the Boston Gardens. That's not the place where they play basketball. That is the first public park in America with a toothbrush and a bucket of water. So hazing varies. But when people start hazing with other people who are crazy and no one can control the psychosis, it is criminal, and everyone should be held accountable. It's just like that terrible bullying that goes on on basketball wives. Yeah, I've watched it because Boyce Watkins insisted that I do. He introduced me to basketball wives and all oh, the pressure. Hazing crimes are happening all over the country, including the case that I just referenced in Boston, at Boston University, a traditionally all-white college and university. And and we have to recognize that it also includes those white institutions. But what hazing incidents make it, but hazing incidents in traditionally black colleges and universities seem to somehow make it on the national news. Where at the Boston University, you wouldn't have, you, none of you have probably ever even heard of it unless I said it tonight. Did you wonder why? And this is not to minimize the deaths that we have seen in historically black colleges and universities as a result of hazing or the injuries, the physical injuries. But Florida Scott, the Florida Governor Rick Scott, has gotten himself ensnarled in the crime that that occurred with the Marching 100 FAMU band. And you have to ask yourself why. 
And the why comes with a lot of answers. Now, Alpha, since I have you, uh, tell us a little bit about Governor Rick Scott. Why do you think a Rick Scott would get himself involved in this? Our number is 347-838-9852. You can call us and get it in get in on this second page conversation. Well, Dennis, Rick Scott, in and of itself, it seems to be this kind of oxymoron. And the people in the state of Florida, to elect a man who uh, couldn't understand or wouldn't answer a question or took the fifth over 85 times in a deposition by which uh, the company that he was uh, head of, the CEO of, had defrauded the government billions in Medicare. And they uh, they eventually were, our fine was meted out of $1.7 billion. This was the fine, $1.7 billion. So how much, how many billions did they dupe the government and the United States taxpayers out of? But yet Florida elected this man governor, or should I say the money. The well, it's always the money, Alpho. It's always the money, and that is why Rick Scott has gotten himself involved in the FAMU Marching 100 hazing case. No, I think he got himself involved in the FAMU hazing case because he is trying to get full prosecution of each and every one of these individuals. The people at FAMU University are black people. And if well, man- no, it goes beyond that, Alpho. It goes beyond that. He is trying to take this university and merge it with a larger white university so that he can get, Steins knows what I'm talking about, he can tap, he can allow the larger white university to tap into the sports revenues and the entertainment revenues of the band. Am I, I right? I don't doubt that. But i got to tell but, you like this. When you get that, when when you get right down to it, you're absolutely right about why he's doing it. But this is an offensive. This is something that, you know, they need to, you know, we need to pay you black folks back for voting for this president. Not just well, well, there, there's another, president. there's another thing. The history, you know, I always say that history is everything. And there's another piece of history that goes behind all of this. And the history is that they already. They 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 closed the FAMU Law School, of which, by the way, um, my father spent the first year in law school at FAMU Law School. And they closed it down, and there was a protest. So what they did was they moved it from Tallahassee, away from the Florida State University Law School, down to Miami, and merged it with another white state institution, okay? And that's exactly, as Stein is saying in our chat room, that's exactly what they're trying to do now is take the whole university and merge it. Parts of it will go to the University of Florida in Gainesville, and the other parts of it will go 
to Florida State University right there in Tallahassee. And there will be no FAMU. And, you know, I mean, my roots are so deep at FAMU, I could sing the FAMU song. FAMU, FAMU, we love the... Okay. We get it. Um, Forever and I have blah, 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 blah. The orange and the green, thy, thy, thy something will never, will ever descend. Okay, so... And, and but but a, a larger question, and this is for people in our chat room, people who are listening. Three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two is our our number. Please feel free to dial it up because this is talk radio, and this should be talk that matters. Is that we send our kids off to college, and they allow themselves to be subjected to many times, and the 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 champion family can attest to this brutal physical hazing now my question is is you know the the, the Rick Scott thing was a you know kind of like a sideline to help people understand but why who are our children that continue to allow themselves to be subjected I'm genuinely interested in your thoughts about what predisposes someone, anyone, to be attracted to and willing to endure any form of hazing for any reason. Well, I'm not now, the person to talk to because <laughs> I've never felt the need. Well, well, you know, you are the person to talk to because you are one of the people to talk to because one of the things that we do know and y'all going to come at me for this, <clears throat> is that in black homes there are children who are subjected to that kind of violence as part of the way we live. You know, children who don't have no leave it to beaver families who are having discussions about their bad behavior. We're talking about um, chest-beating fathers, and you know, Alpha, about the people saying, the, you know, the mother saying, go out there in that yard and get me a switch and don't come back here with no small one and uh, or pulling out a four-inch leather belt or an electric cord. And sometimes these children go to school and, you know, go off to school and somebody says, you know, we're going to whip your ass. If you if you want to be with us, if you want to be one of us, that's what's going to happen. You either take it or you walk. And we have children. I mean, and you talk about college children. I went to college very young, but you're talking about 17 to 20-year-olds who are subjecting themselves, who are voluntarily and subjecting themselves to this kind of Punishment. Well, Janice, I don't see the. You don't see the. the you don't see the. I don't uh, see the level of discipline meted out at the at the home level having anything to do with it. Because I got to tell you, I was a latchkey kid. Mama taught us the difference between right and wrong, and uh, when we were wrong, Mama beat the hell out of us. 
but I still didn't feel the need to belong to something so uh, uh, with such conviction that I would allow someone to abuse me or beat me or haze me or no, absolutely not. And the people who feed into this, and you know, and I'm and I'm I want to direct this to many of the black folks because if they were so ingrained in, in Greek mythology and Greek history instead of African-American mythology and African-American history. Where would you go then? Why would you allow someone to uh, burn a symbol into your arm, uh, a Greek symbol into your arm, and if a white man was to try to brand you with some type of symbol, you would want to be upset. But you voluntarily and willfully go along with this type of uh, branding, and they're like cattle. I can't tell you how many times I've seen a cue on somebody branded, burn into their arm. I can't, I just can't get with it. Well, we want to hear from you out there, 347-838-9852. What's your understanding about this hazing thing? What's your understanding about uh why we would do it. I mean, you know, we're sitting here, I'm sitting here. I was online for 22 weeks, uh, of which probably around 20 of those weeks we ended up having to sleep on the floor because we all had to stay together. So, uh, um, you know, um, we've got to take a look at this and we've got to take a look at it in the in the sense of we know that you know here comes my mama talking they you know my mama loved to talk about they they will take away our assets based on any reason they can find because we're looking at they have taken our money and told us that this is the system that was made to put your to 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 manage your money they have told us this is the system that we're going to use to um take away your vote This is the system that we're going to use to take away your children. This is the system that we're going to use to eliminate the presence of black men in your community. Our number is 347-838-9852. And I don't know why Alpha just ran away from him. He just dropped off the board. This is our common ground, and we are going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll take your calls here at our common ground. I'm Janice Graham, and you're listening to Our Common Ground.
of this daughter of a clergyman spending 11 weeks at number one on the U.S. singles charts? One in 19 million. The odds of going on to win six Grammy Awards? One in 1.4 million. The odds of having a child diagnosed with autism? One in 150. I'm Tony Braxton, and I encourage you to learn the signs of autism at AutismSpeaks.org. Is um, 
tells a very brutal story about the 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 faulty judicial system under which uh we live and especially the people um in the state of Florida and we're going to see what happens um in regard to how Angela Corey is going to respond and I encourage you to continue to make calls to her office to continue to write letters to the the governor and letters to Angela Corey who's a state attorney for the state of Florida on Marissa Alexander's behalf. But tonight I want to pose the question, um, the women's organizations still have not shown up in defense of Marissa Alexander. I'm truly disturbed by that. Uh, I know that that community of advocates worked very hard to bring African-American women into the movement to fight against domestic violence and how the courts and the legal community, the social service community, the medical community responded to victims of domestic violence. And here we are in 2012, a woman who had never been arrested, stopped, never got a a uh, a moving violation ticket, and she goes to retrieve her personal belongings from the house that she no longer lived with her husband, had given birth nine days before. She was verbally attacked by him. He threatened to kill her. She shot a warning shot into into the ceiling of the house. He steps forward and says she pointed the gun. But if she pointed the gun at him, why didn't she pull the trigger on him? Rather, she pulled the trigger on the ceiling, and those are the facts. And she was sentenced to 20 years because the Florida courts, the Fourth Circuit, denied her defense. Of stand your ground. Our number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. We've got um, about twenty one more minutes on this broadcast. If you want to join us at three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two, I see that seven seven three is back. Are we? In, I mean, last night you were dealing with Steins and his um, babies are us telephone, and tonight. We're dealing with you falling off the off the line, and I did nothing. Oh, so it's my fault. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Alpha, what do you what do you make of the women? I mean, when Sandra Fluke was attacked by Rush Limbaugh, not only was it the women's organizations, it was the women in Congress and the women everywhere came to her defense. Why do you think the, where are these women's organizations? Three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. Where are the women's organizations in in defense of uh, Marissa Alexander? This outrageous, outrageous uh, charge and sentencing. Well, let me shuffle this deck up first before I play one of these cards. Oh, the deck! It's the deck itself. When 
they denied. I want the top card. <laughs> when they denied her stand your ground, it was rather obvious that she was going down. Uh, this uh, uh, Corey uh, prosecutor, there, you know, this 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 entire scenario of stand your ground and the Trayvon Martin, he gets stand your Zimmerman gets to stand his ground when he's the pursuant, when he is the aggressor, and she doesn't get to stand her ground. And, you know, she don't get to stand her ground, even though he wasn't supposed to be there. She was there trying to get her belongings, and he shows up, and he's the aggressor. He's, you know, it, it makes absolutely no sense. One, the only thing that it could possibly be is that, uh, Corey overcharged, and she should not have charged her at all. No one died. No one was injured. I mean, it's, 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 this, is, this is just as outrageous as the Scott sister scenario was. This is about being black in America. And by the way, you know the Scott sisters are still on probation. Right, and this, and this, and this uh, and boss hog, how many people did he pardon? People did he pardon on his way out the door? You know, Alpha. Sometimes I have get a hard time trying to get you to to get to the base, the baseline, and the baseline is what here. It's tough to get me to the baseline because. Yeah, yeah. Come on, let me get you to the baseline. Come on, don't pull back. No, no. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, don't push. Just, just hold my hand and let me pull you. It's a baseline. I'm sure. This is what they do to black people. And and yet, and yet. Say it, Alpha. Say it after me. This is. Come on. But you're right. You're absolutely right. That's what they do. No, to no, black no. People. I want. To, I want to hear you say the courts, it. The courts are stacked with these judges. The Klan has infested our judicial system. Our police or it's it's. It comes to a point where you you have to say it. These people in the South are still as bigoted as this. Ah, you just went to the wrong place. What are you talking about in the South? Well, when I say the South, it is It happens in Chicago. It happens in San Francisco. It happens in New York. South of the Canadian border. It happens in New York. South of the Canadian border. But the Klan, the Klan has successfully infiltrated our judiciary, our law enforcement, and our political system. The, Absolutely. The, the bigotry in this country is going strong. Forget about the first black president. Look at how they're treating him. And he's playing the Jackie Robinson of the White House, so you know he's not going to stand up and, and, and fight back. He's going to go along with it because the first black has always got to take it. Well, you know, he I mean, even if he just came out and talked about uh, the community development financial institutions, and even if he talked about sustainable banking, even if she, I mean, that wasn't even part of, I mean, uh so let's not go there. What to the about the 
Jackie Jack, Jackie Robinson. Oh, you can't Obama. avoid. How do you avoid it? And and when we're speaking about the the atmosphere, the environment that African Americans suffer through this country, and one of the narratives was this is a post-racial uh, country now. That it's the trap. Exactly. Don is in the, in, the, in, the, in the chat room, and he will tell you that I will tell you that that's trap number five. You know, um, one of the reasons that we can't get any traction on this stuff is because so many of us look to leadership outside of ourselves. For instance, let me let me tell you about even if you even if we go back to the banking issue. The credit union movement was started by some individuals who decided that they were fed up and had more worth than what institutional big corporation banks we're providing them. You see? But we have a president who says he is progressive, and he is not. He is recessive. He is just like every other president. Sitting smoothly in the system rather than forging ahead, creating a new vision. Because the old vision hasn't worked for us. Well, Am I getting too esoteric here? Our number is 347-838-9852. We've got a few minutes that we can take your calls. Uh, We're we're throwing out this whole notion of um, on the – on the board here, this whole notion of community banking and the need to have ownership by the and control by the states and local banks, creating uh, enough banks that can take the deposits to have the same kind of system that North Dakota has in a state bank model. We're also talking about hazing and why and what we ought to be thinking about in terms of why our children are subjecting themselves to physical and emotional harassment and abuse with injuries and death. And we're also asking the question, where are the women's organizations in defense of Marissa Alexander? And the number is 347-838-9852. And Alpha, you know I just love talking with you. I just think you love cutting me off. <laughs> I think I have to get a word in edgewise. I think you have this meter that says, "Uh oh, he's about to go into a rant." Let me stop it. <laughs> Come on, throw your brick. Well, let me put it like this: about these women's organizations, you know, someone like a uh, Marissa Alexander. They're not going to get any favor. They're not going to get any favor from these women's organizations. When Rush Limbaugh attacked the white girl, every, every, there was a level of indignation. I mean, um, 
legitimate indignation. And but they should these women organizations should also they should stand up for every woman. And that's not being done in this case. There is no way that this should have ever or should even drop off the news chart or the news uh uh wire. Marissa mm-hmm. Alexander is sitting in prison and will be sitting in prison because uh the, the prosecutor's not going to change her mind. I don't care how many people show up down there for a march. She will never change her mind because this will undercut her own political future. And if you want to change something, change the way people see her, the way people view yep. her. And that's We've got to call Alpha. You're absolutely right. I think I, I love the way that you have uh, so eloquently summarized what the real deal, the reality of it is. 405, you're on the air. I've got Alpha with me, but we can keep him quiet for a minute while you come on in. Thank you for your call. I respect you. Well, I respect you all, Alpha and Janice. How are y'all doing? Oh, my brother. (laughs) It is tough, boy. This this is the blog talk. I don't know about it. You know, they got us identified, I guess, because I played hell getting in here tonight. Everybody's having a problem. I don't know what the problem. I've written. To, I've written to them. I've got about three minutes, Don. What you? What say you tonight? Let me say it in one minute. You know, I mean, do we really expect Janice and you and I, I are in the have been in the or in the uh, the court system and been there, uh, but we're in the matrix. You know, so uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, do we really, really, really expect justice? Out of the court system, especially down there, I doubt it. You know, so that's the reality. You know, we're 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 you know we're you've got to uh, have uh, substantial support and have to have representation on that, and hopefully you can get a jury uh, before we you can even have a chance at winning. And so uh, you know that's what's happening down there. She's going to sit in that jail for, for uh, forever. And uh, where's Charlton Heston? Where, 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 where's the uh, the American Rifle Association? All these these groups, you know, where are they at? Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, that's, national, I'm gonna let you go. But that's, coal, where's that's, the National that's Coalition happening. for Domestic Violence? Nothing changed. Everything remains the same. So that's exactly. why we must be vigilant, and that's why you have to have these platforms for us to come in and uh, voice our opinions and see if see what we can do and discuss this stuff. But uh, uh, you know, I'm gonna let you go because no time is of the essence. But uh, you know, that's my two cents. Yeah, thanks, uh, uh, Don. And um, that was Doc Don out of Oklahoma. Um, and his two cents was worth um, all of the bonuses paid to uh, banking executives last year in America. Thank you, Don, for your call. Alpha, thank you for sticking with me, and I want to apologize to all of you that um, we were unable to contact um, Ellen Brown to nudge her a bit, but I do uh, commit to rescheduling the show with Ellen Brown. I think it's an important topic, and we'll do it again. Alpha, you have a good weekend. Don't let all these basketball games, baseball games, and what else do you watch? Uh, is it called polka? Oh, it's MMA. It's, it's MMA, mixed martial arts cage. <laughs> oh, Lord. Y'all heard him. 
Now, if you actually watch people in the wrestling industry, you know, these pro wrestling has been around since I was a tot. So if you really want to see some serious get-in-your-face, definite beatdowns, MMA is the, is the move. They, they're it's they're not, growing fast. It's not even funny. So oh, Alpha. Oh, Alpha. I take the program, and I just saw part of it. Somebody call Olivia Pope on this boy. Alpha, thank you so much. <laughs> I had to go watch it because one of the guys' head is opened up so much, they had to bring a doctor in with staples. <laughs> and thank you all for being with us here at Our Common Ground. We'll be right back here at 10 p.m. next Saturday night, hopefully with Ellen Brown. And don't forget, on Tuesday night, I will be doing a tribute to Gil Noble on Power Views at 10 p.m. on TruthWorks Network. And catch Peter E. Matthews at Global Village Voices on Monday at 9 p.m. I'm Janice Graham, and um, we're going to go out of here playing tribute to Miles Davis. He and his demons, the most talented musician of his time. But he had demons. Good night, all, and thank you for being with us. We appreciate your listenership. Join us at ourcommonground-talk.ning.com. You can Twitter with us at Janice OCG. I'd be glad to tweet you on back. Good night, all. Have a good weekend, and don't forget to remember our fallen citizens in war and in peace. The machines on. No title. Take one. Here we go. Well, the Euro 62291. Number two. Take Wait one. Wait one minute. No, On two days in the spring of 1959. After a string of critically acclaimed and successful albums, Miles Davis recorded what would become Kind of Blue. Nothing would ever be the same for jazz or for Miles Davis. It is one of the single greatest achievements in recorded music. It's a cornerstone record, not only for jazz. It's a cornerstone record for music. Everybody knows what kind of blue, and that's because they have heard enough songs from this disc. Uh, they just hear these images in their head, I think, of what this title means for them. Sort of like, you know, the Bible in a way. You know, you just have one in your house. I think I had about three copies. I, I got the records, you know, the albums, real albums. There is one record, I mean, we've all said it, but it's really true, that captures the essence of jazz for a variety of reasons, it would have to be kind of blue. When we did this kind of blue thing, I thought that was special too, but not as special as it got to be. Yeah, I didn't expect it would be the top selling jazz record of all time.
was the essence of hipness. Uh, the way he looked, the way he dressed, the way he played. Miles was Miles. He didn't have to say Miles Davis. He said Miles. And you knew who they were talking about, Miles. There was no one else named Miles. Uh, and there was no one else who did what Miles did in the way that he did it then. His music kind of represented who he had in the band. Uh, Wenton Kelly was one piano player that was working in our band after Bill Evans had left. Then there was Alan Baldwin, John Coltrane, Paul Chambers, and myself. He would put people who play one style with people who would play another style, a different style, or maybe a contrasting style. Most people wouldn't dare do because they figured that's not going to work. You know? But Miles would put these elements together because he would trust the spirit of the honesty of each of the musicians trying to figure out a way to make it work. Good evening. This is Janice Graham, and this is Our Common Ground. Thank you so much for being with us tonight at Our Common Ground.